Hi, this is Edwin Crozier with the Franklin Church of Christ. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word. The lesson you're about to hear was, in my mind, a very exciting night as we took a look at the future of the Franklin Church of Christ and discussed what it would take to make this congregation an evangelistic church. We took a look at ten roles that brethren within the congregation need to fill in order to do more than just preacher evangelism, but congregational evangelism. So open your Bibles and study with us as we learn about the roles needed in an evangelistic church. When I say the words personal evangelism, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Teaching. Sitting down with somebody one-on-one, talking with them, having a Bible open, maybe having a lesson, uh, trying to convince them to get baptized, right? And because that's the very first thing that comes into our minds as we think about personal evangelism, there's a whole host of us that whenever the preacher gets up and starts talking about personal evangelism, we just start quaking in our boots. Because we think about sitting down and talking with folks about the Bible and all the things that just scare us to death about doing that, right? Anybody else ever feel that way? Okay, a few of you admit it. Very good. All right. Well, for those of you who wouldn't admit it, how come you had not been studying with anybody lately? Uh, you know, the, the fact is, that's, it's something that scares a lot of us. What I'd like for us to do is think about this a little bit differently. We often talk about personal evangelism, and when we think about personal evangelism, personal means person, individual. But instead of personal evangelism, I'd like for us to think of, to think of it in terms of team evangelism. Or perhaps we might say congregational evangelism. But I want to think about congregational evangelism, because when we think about congregational evangelism, what we recognize is that even if you're scared to death to sit at a kitchen table with somebody and talk to them about the Bible, there are things that you can do and be involved in what the congregation is doing evangelistically. And what I want us to talk about tonight are the roles in an evangelistic congregation. Taking a congregation from where it is and building it up. And what does it take to be evangelistic and get that gospel message out? The sheet that I have given you, if you would please write your name in there where it says name. Because when we're done, after you take your notes and you fill in the ten slots of things that we're going to talk about, I want you to put your check mark beside the roles that you would be willing to fulfill in the year 2006, next year, starting in January, four weeks from now, putting in perspective. And then at the end of the, at the, end of the lesson, we're going to be taking these up and hopefully being able to use it to help us as a congregation be more evangelistic. As we introduce this, let me just explain to you why I'd like for us to do this tonight. I've been here about two years. And let's face it, in, in the history of the congregation, we've had some, some tough times. And I think over the last two years, we've been able to bandage up some wounds of things that happened in the past, lay a good foundation uh, for us as a congregation and where we want to be and what we're going to teach. And I think now, just like we pointed out this morning, that we're kind of at a crossroads. We've got two directions that we can go. We can either become the Anytown Church and just be average and just be like most of the congregations in the U.S., or we can be extraordinary and we can be more like that Jerusalem congregation. And I think that it is, it is time for us now to start that path of being that evangelistic church that gets out and lets folks know about the gospel of Jesus Christ. i got to tell you, we were talking, Mark and Steve got here a little bit early. We had a Bible class curriculum meeting and and before, the, before that got together, we actually talked about VBS, and 
while Mark and Steve and I were together, we were talking about some of the guests that we've had over the past couple of weeks and, and uh, you know, wondering what might happen to them and where they might go and, and talking about other congregations they might go to. And you know what? I, I'm just really tired of worrying about that. Anybody else really tired of worrying about that? Okay, I am just really tired of worrying about that. But one of the problems that happens, I think, and it's really, I think it's a real difficult issue, especially in an area where you have all kinds of congregations. Typically, it seems that the number one thing that congregations are focused on is that when new Christians move into the area, we want to compete with other churches to get those people to come uh, come uh, be with us. And I just think that's, you know, why sure, if, if people move into the area, I want them to come here. That's really not growing Christ's kingdom. When somebody who moved here from from Timbuktu and starts attending with us, has the kingdom of Christ grown any by that? No. It hadn't grown a bit. When did the kingdom of Christ grow? When somebody's baptized for the remission of their sins, converted to Christ. And what I look in our future... I want us to think about that. There are going to be Christians that move in and out of Franklin and Williamson County and Spring Hill and Thompson Station, and some of them will end up coming here and some of them will leave us, and that's going to happen. We can't stop that. But look at all the people that are already here, that are still here, that have been here, that we have to talk to about the gospel. There's a whole bunch of them. Before I moved here, I got online and found out that in 1980, there were 10,000 people who lived in Franklin. Uh, in 2003, guess what the census said? 40,000. It had doubled twice in 20 years. There's all kinds of people around here. Uh, Spring Hill is growing by leaps and bounds. It's, uh, it's, it's an amazing thing. We've got folks that we can talk to about the gospel. But we, what we have to do is we have to think like an evangelistic congregation. And what can every person do to be a part of that group that is reaching out and being evangelistic? And as we talk about this tonight, one of the things I want us to realize is that we shouldn't sit back and rely on the star quarterback. Now that's, that's the way a lot of churches do it. Well, we hire the preacher, right? That's his job. His job is evangelism. He's our quarterback. He throws the ball. Uh, every once in a while, we'll catch it. But most of the time, it's his job. And while I am, I am really, uh, as, as we've learned as we've talked about the Jerusalem church, I am all into a congregation having more than one full-time worker. I'd love for us to be able to do that. I'd like for us to be able to do that next year. And I think about all the work that we could do. But that's not what I'm talking about tonight. What I'm talking about tonight is every member working. Every member working and doing their part. And when we're doing that, folks will listen. Folks will become Christians. And wouldn't that be exciting? Would you be excited by that if we were baptizing a couple people a month? Yeah, and that's, that's what we need to be working toward. And so I want to talk about these roles that we need to be involved in as far as evangelism. We're going to be doing this just a little bit differently. I want you to write these notes down, write down each one, and then put a check mark by the one that you'll be willing to do. And I am going to tell you that what that means is when we start some things next year for evangelism, if you put a check mark by it, I will be calling you and saying, remember this paper? And uh, if you didn't turn a paper in, I will be calling you and saying, hey, I marked you down for one of these, and so it's going to start next week. So make sure you turn a paper in and mark something down that you're willing to do. The very first thing is, is really the one that I think is the absolute most important. The number one role in personal evangelism is prayer. And we need people who specifically 
and intentionally and purposefully are praying regarding issues of evangelism. We need people who, when they think about prayer, that is one of their number one goals. That we are praying for the growth of the congregation, both spiritually and numerically, but we're praying regarding evangelism and regarding reaching the lost. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 19, Paul demonstrated the need for prayer in regards to evangelism. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 19, he asked for the Ephesian church to pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Prayer is a part of getting that gospel message passed along. We need to be praying for those who are teaching that they'll have boldness. We need to be praying for the congregation that it can get the message out, the congregation that it can stand for the truth and uphold the truth. Remember, that's what the church's job is, to be the pillar and supporter of the truth. We need to be praying for the folks in Franklin that don't know the gospel, that we might have opportunity, that somebody here would have opportunity to talk to them. And the folks in Williamson County in the Middle Tennessee area. We need to be praying for opportunities to get that message out. We need to be praying for our guests. We need to be praying. When we have guests come in, we ought to have people that are specifically naming the guests who have come in here who are not children of God, that we might have opportunity to talk to them and teach them the gospel. That's, we need folks who are specifically and intentionally focused on that. And here's one of the great things about this role. If you can't do anything else, guess what? Every single one of us can do this. Every single one of us can pray to God and fulfill this role. We need folks who are intentionally, purposefully praying regarding issues of evangelism. Because the reality is, no matter what else we do, no matter what else, if God's hand is not with us, then we're just spinning our wheels. We need to be praying. The second thing, the second role that we need, we need inviters and recommenders. Inviters and recommenders. So, number two, invite and recommend. We need folks who are intentionally seeking out people to tell about the congregation. Inviting them to come check it out, recommending that they check it out. The, the difference between an invitation and a recommendation. An invitation is, Alan, would, would you come to worship with me this Sunday? That's an invitation, okay? A recommendation is, Charles, I've got to tell you about this congregation I've been to. They have the best-looking preacher, and, and you need to go see him. Okay, that's a recommendation. Uh, of course, there are some truth in advertising laws, so you may want to use something other than the one I did. But some recommendations. Some recommendations like, I tell you what, they've got some good singing. They've got good Bible classes. They've got, uh, the, the teaching is from the Bible. If you're going to be an inviter and recommender, you need to think about, what can I tell folks about the congregation that recommends it? We're all very good at recommending things that we truly believe in. While we were eating lunch today, I was recommending movies to, to Henry and Marianne. Right? It was, oh man, you're going to love this one. And then found out that they don't love any of the movies that I like. So I don't know if they're going to like it or not. But, but we can recommend. We say, oh, you'll like this because it's got action or it's got romance or it's got singing or whatever it is. Well, that's the same kind of thing with the church. What, what is it that folks would like about it? You know, I think one of the sad things is, is that today when it comes to uh, what we're doing in the church, we are just so convinced 
that everybody in the world wants glitz and glamour and entertainment, that we're more apologetic about the congregation than we are recommending it. Well, you know, I, I know we're not... I know we're not going to do all that stuff that y'all been doing over there that you've seen at those other churches, but would you like to come with me anyway? Uh, you know, all we're going to do is have preaching but and, and some singing, but would you like to come with me anyway? What do you think the answer to that one is? Uh, no, I think I'm painting my nails that day. I mean, that's it. But if you can say, listen, I'm going to tell you what, we've been singing some great songs. Singing is wonderful there. You really ought to come check us out. If you can say, I've never been involved in anything more exciting than what we're doing is, as we're branching out and getting the gospel folks, you really ought to check it out. How do you think folks will respond to that? I'll tell you what, very interestingly, according to a Barna poll, 25% of people who don't go to church anywhere have said that if they were invited, they would come. One out of four folks who don't go to church anywhere. Okay, that's not one out of four folks who go to church somewhere say they'll go someplace else if you invite them. One out of four who don't go anywhere say if they were invited, they would come. Uh, That means we need to find that person. One of the greatest evangelistic feats during the Bible came simply because of an invitation. In John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman. After she talked with Jesus in John chapter 4, verse 28, the woman left her water pot and went to the city and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? They went out of the city and were coming to him. One of the things, we've talked about this before, but one of the things that most amazes me about that story is the apostles were just in that same city and nobody came out because of the apostles. You know why? Because they weren't inviting and recommending. But here this Samaritan woman says, let me tell you about this guy. I just Y'all need to come check him out. And the city came out to him. And notice what happens in verse 39. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all the things that I've done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Verse 41, many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. How did it all start? It started because somebody invited and recommended. And we need folks who are specifically and intentionally doing that. Inviting friends, family, neighbors, co-workers, Walmart, checkout clerks, bank tellers, whoever. But folks who have it, see it in their mind, that is my job. That's what I'm doing as part of our congregational evangelism. I am recommending. I'm letting people know. And not getting caught up in how many actually show up, just that's my job. I'm, my job is to invite and recommend. I have been successful when I have told folks about what we're doing and they've heard about it. Uh, the more noise we make about the congregation, the more folks it'll come. The third thing, we need people persons. People persons. People who are open and friendly, and able to connect. I recognize that not everybody is good at at connecting with other people. Not everybody is good at walking up to to some stranger and, and, and just talking to them and getting a conversation going and enfolding them and making them feel at home. But we need to have folks who say, I am good at that, and that's my job. That is what I do. My job is to connect with folks. And where this most often will come into play in the, in the realm of congregational evangelism is right here in this building. When people come in here that aren't members here, we need to have people that have it in their mind. My job is to connect with them. I'll talk to my friends when we're done. 
I'll start talking to other folks. I'll conduct business of the congregation when we're done. But my first and foremost job is, here's a person that I don't know. My job is to connect with them, to greet them, to welcome them, to anticipate their needs and let them know where the classes are that they might need, where the restrooms are, where the nurseries are. Make sure that they get one of our little guest cards and fill it out and give it back to me. A lot of times you hear these folks called greeters. One of the things that I don't like about just assigning greeters, though I think we probably should at times, you know, I go back and forth, but one of the problems is I, when, we, when we say greeters, I'm afraid that a lot of folks think, oh, we have people assigned to greet folks, I don't have to talk to anybody. Everybody should be involved in this to some degree, but there's some of us that are just good at it. You know, I mean, I've got to tell you, put him on the spot, because if he doesn't check this one, I'm going to check it on their form. You only talk about a people person. That when, when we think of people person, you know, see who I'm looking at over here? When we think of people person, who is a people person here? Phil Barnes. I mean, I've been out at a restaurant with him, and somebody walks by, and my thought of a stranger walking by, I want to look down because I'm scared of him. And Phil will start talking with him and get a really good conversation going with him. And I'm just, that just amazes me. That, that's what we, folks who can do that. Phil, you need to check that one, okay? You can go ahead and mark that one. People person who can greet and, and welcome folks in. And they need to be able to do it impartially. I think about James chapter 2. In James chapter 2, we hear about folks coming into the assembly. My brethren, in James chapter 2 and verse 1, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes and say, you sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down by my footstool, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? We need folks who can impartially connect with people when they come in and, and help them and enfold them. And, and what we need is folks who say, that is my job. I can walk up to them and say, what, what is your job in our evangelism? And they say, look, I am a people person. I greet folks. I welcome them. And it doesn't start once we walk through the door. You know, if I see them outside in the parking lot, I'm already greeting them out there and talking to them. You know, it's, there's nothing more dreadful than for a member and a guest to be walking through the parking lot side by side. They walk through the opposite doors, and then the member comes around and says, oh, hi, I'm Bob. Or, or you know, whoever. Uh, see them outside, that's what you, that's what you talk. We need folks who are people persons. We need folks who are hospitable persons. And I know this is a little scary. It certainly makes folks vulnerable. But we need folks who are hospitable persons. Who are willing to take folks who come in, guests, whether Christians or non-Christians, and spend time with them away from here. Having them in their homes, or going to a restaurant with them. Just spending some time with them, getting to know them, talking with them, opening doors with them, developing that relationship with them. We need hospitable persons. If you look in Luke chapter 5, verse 27 to 29, that's one of the things about Levi, or the Apostle Matthew, as we more commonly call him. In Luke chapter 5, one of the impressive things is, in verse 27 of Luke 5, After that he went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he left everything behind and got up and began to follow him. Verse 29, And Levi gave a big reception for him in his house, and there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people who were reclining at the table with them. And of course, now the Pharisees got all upset about that. But this was something that glorified God. Here was Matthew. He wanted to get his friends together to meet Jesus. He was hospitable. 
And he was even willing to invite these folks into their homes so that they could develop a relationship with Jesus. And I think that's something we need. We need folks who are willing to do that. Uh, go out to eat with them. Go to a movie with them. Uh, you know, do, do things with folks who come in here. And we need folks who say, that is my job. I do that. I'm looking forward to that opportunity to be able to have folks into my home to meet them and enfold them and get to know them better. That's, that's what, what my job is, to do that. A hospitable person. Acts chapter 20 and verse 20. The next three on our list come from Acts chapter 20 and verse 20. Paul said in Acts 20 and verse 20, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house. Paul here, of course, is talking to the Ephesian elders and he's talking about the way he evangelized. One of the... I think one of the modern problems that we have, we have become almost building-centered. All our work is what happens here. And now, I certainly don't think we should throw the baby out with the bathwater as some other folks are trying to do these days. But we do need to realize that it's not all about what's going on here. In the New Testament, they had the combination of what happened here and what was going on in people's homes. And people were opening their homes to allow the gospel to be taught in their homes. And of course, it did two things. Primarily, it helped with the spiritual development of the members of the congregation. Because throughout the week, they were meeting with brethren and talking about spiritual things and learning the will of God. But it also provided a great opportunity to draw folks in from around them. And I think that's one of the issues today. One of the, one of the big problems today is that there's a lot of folks that they're thinking about spiritual things. They want to know a little bit more. They've heard about us. But they know that when they come in here, why, they're, the, they're, they're going to be the only sinner there. They're just convinced of it. Now, we know that's not true, right? We know that we're all just a bunch of sinners who have been forgiven, right? But folks in the world, you know, they, they've got their sins, and they look at us, and they've heard the televangelists and all the preaching, and you know we're just a, a, a bunch of really righteous people, and they know that they're just going to stand out like a sore thumb, that as they walk through the door, God's going to place a sign over their head that says sinner, and they're just really nervous about walking into a group of 100 people or more. But they don't mind it so much if they went to a group of 15 or so. And so having house-to-house studies is something that's very beneficial. It provides another venue in which we can invite and recommend folks to come in and hear about the gospel and study the Word of God. Uh, but now those things don't happen all on their own. If we're going to have a study from house to house, we have to have somebody that's willing to say, you can come to my house. And we have to have somebody who's willing to say, you can come to my house every Thursday night for six months. We have to have somebody that's willing to say, you know, I'm really not going to worry about how messy you think my house is. We're just having a Bible study or singing or or whatever it is that we're doing. And you know, we have to have somebody that, you know, if they want to feed folks, they're willing to do that. But they're also willing to say, we're not coming to eat. We're coming to study the Bible. You know, I think sometimes we, we don't do this so much because we have this idea of expectations. Oh, if they come, I have to feed them. Uh, at, at our house, 
in Spring Hill. We've invited the Christians from Spring Hill and Thompson Station to come and have a study with us on Friday nights. And Kenny, how many times have we fed you? Once. And we've been doing it for six months. Once. At the rest of the time, it's would you like some water? And Kenny keeps coming back. I appreciate that, Kenny. Uh, I mean, you know, we don't have to have all these expectations, but we do need to have people that are willing to have their door open and let folks come in. And you know that means the house is going to get a little bit messy. Kids, things might get broken. I know that. Uh, And I'm not trying to say that that's justified and that's all right and parents can let their kids run wild, but, you know, the fact is we need to have people that are willing to say what's most important is getting this gospel message out and strengthening people. And And I'll make my house vulnerable to that. Folks who will host it. The host doesn't necessarily lead it. They just are saying, you can do it at my house. But, see, we also need folks who will lead it. Paul said, I taught publicly and from house to house. We need to have folks that are willing to teach these. You know, there's only seven nights in a week. And two of them, we're already meeting here congregationally. I do have a family that I need to be spending time with. I want to teach a lot of house to house studies, but I obviously can't do more than three or four in a week. If we start doing something during the day, I could probably increase it, and I would love to do that. But obviously, it's, it's going to be very quick that I would be maxed out. And what we would need is other folks saying, hey, I'll be willing to teach. I'll provide some material, and I'll teach it. Or listen, I, we'll just go through the book of Acts or the book of John, and, and we'll just study a, a chapter a week or, or something like that, whatever, uh, whatever you want to do. But we need folks that would stand up and say, I'll lead it, I'll teach it. And, and folks who would be willing to assist with that. But, of course, the leader has to realize that this is more than just teaching a class. This is actually leading souls. And it's going to put you in a relationship of, really, of of shepherding some people. Of being willing to say, "I'm I'm going to start watching out for these folks. And I'm going to train others to start watching out for each other. And we need folks that are willing to do that. And as, as they're watching out for folks and as folks are being invited in, they'll be converting folks and there'll be more folks that they're bringing up and more folks starting to get together from house to house. But we need folks who are willing to lead it. And this, this next one may just go without saying, but we also need folks that are willing to be members. They're willing to go. They're willing to say, you know, I could take my Tuesday nights for six months and devote to this or for three months or even for a year. Or you know, I, I could do that. And I will do that. And I'll be there. I'll, I'll attend. Not always calling at the last minute and explaining why I can't be there, but, but treating it as a commitment. Paul said he taught from house to house. That means there were people there to teach. And we have to have folks that are willing to say, you know, we had our congregational assembly, but I'm going to get together with some other Christians and we're going to talk about Bible things and worship and praise God, just like they did in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, we read this passage this morning, verse 46, Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, I find that interesting, that it doesn't say what they were doing regarding some aggressive evangelism program. It says that the Christians were getting together, worshiping God, and folks were being added. I mean, because this, this is one of the things that works. You get folks interested in learning the gospel with other Christians, and they start telling other folks about it. And folks come in and start getting at it. Moving on to the next set, we need follow-up waterers. First Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6, Paul talked about 
his role in the evangelism in Corinth and also Apollos' role. And in First Corinthians 3 and verse 6, he said, I planted Apollos' waters, but God was causing the growth. The idea there that was Paul came in and made the initial thrust of teaching, but then Apollos came along behind him and followed up and watered. And I think we need to use this type of principle in our thinking. We need folks who follow up. Somebody comes in and is a guest at the congregation. We need folks who are going to follow up with them. That's going to include folks who send them cards, send them emails, send them notes, give them calls. That's going to include folks who say, you know what my job is? My job is we had a guest on Sunday. My job is on Friday I'm going to call them to invite them to come again this next Sunday. We need folks who that's my job, to follow up and to water. The seed was planted when they showed up this past Sunday, and now we're going to follow up and water them. We need folks who do that as their job. And if I might say something about the congregation here... It was a week and a half ago, I went to Florida for my uncle's funeral. And the congregation that we attended Wednesday night, where my aunt attends, the preacher there, his name is Bobby Witherington. Does anybody know that name? Okay. I, I believe he, uh, he's, he held a meeting in this area, he said, about ten years or so, uh, back, when, back when the congregation was over on Chestnut Lane. But he said, very interestingly, he and his wife attended here one Wednesday night while they were traveling. And he he still, this was ten years ago, and he said the one thing that stood in his mind, he said he got so many cards from folks here that they have always remembered that. And, And that's really something impressive. And if you think that makes an impression on somebody who's already a Christian, think about the kind of impression that would make on somebody who's not a Christian. To receive that kind of follow up and, and that care and concern for how glad we are that you attended with us and that you are our guest, and we'd like to have you come back again. And so we need folks that are involved in that. That's their job, to follow up and water. We need folks who are prospectors. First Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 5, Paul said, What then is Apollos, and what is Paul? Servants to whom you believe, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. Paul, he was a person that was looking for the Lord's opportunities. He was a person that was looking for the opportunities to teach the gospel. He was the person that that had it in mind that his relationship with other people were God's gifts to him to be able to spread that gospel. And we need folks who have that kind of mindset. Most of the things we talk about now have dealt with folks that are coming in and visiting with us, and that's the number one place we're going to find folks to be able to teach is the ones who've decided to come and visit with us in our worship assemblies and our classes. But we also need people that are able to look for opportunities. And I know that we're not all going to be good at this. I'm not extremely good at this. We, we need folks who are able to look and say, you know, this is, I, I'm looking for the opportunity to spread the gospel. And here's a relationship where I think I can develop that and develop that relationship and, and talk with this person and get a relationship going and then bring up some spiritual things to be able to talk to them about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that way, even end up converting folks before they ever even darken the door. You know, I think about this with, with prospecting. You take a, a job that's in sales, and you take a salesman, and a salesman who is going to be successful, they have got to constantly be thinking about how they can meet their next client. They are constantly prospecting. And as they're, they're talking to folks, they're trying to think about how can what I offer serve this person. And that's kind of the way we need prospectors in the church. Look at what I, we've got to offer. We've got the gospel to offer, and it can serve them by saving their souls. And I need to figure out ways to be able to make that connection with them and provide this for them and show it to them. And we need folks that are willing to say, that's my job. My job is to look around and, and do it on purpose. 
who, who are the folks that I come in contact with that I can talk to about this? And finally, of course, we're going to need folks who are teachers. Romans chapter 10 and verse 14. For all the numerous things that we do, we, got, we do have to realize that it will come down to this. The team evangelism doesn't rule out teaching. Romans 10 and verse 14 says, or beginning at verse 13, Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him in whom they haven't believed? How will they believe in Him whom they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they're sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. We need folks who finally, yes, can sit down one-on-one, one-on-two, in a small group, and just teach the gospel. Because for all the example evangelism that folks are really into today, the reality is, until you actually sit down with somebody with the Bible and tell them, here's what the Bible says you've got to do, they're not going to know about baptism. They didn't witness you being baptized for the remission of your sins. We need folks who are willing to say, I'm a teacher. And when we have opportunity, and I'll tell you, these are the persons that when the inviter and recommender gets somebody here and the follow-up person gets them here again and, and the hospitable people have got them primed and ready, they say, hey, uh, Bob is coming over on, uh, on Thursday and we'd like to have a little Bible study. Would you be interested? And, and the teacher teaches. We need folks who do that. And that just gets them up to baptism. We haven't talked about the roles after they're baptized. And if we tried real hard, we could probably come up with even more roles here, but I hope what I've demonstrated to you is that there really is something that you can do to be a part of an evangelistic church. There's something that that you can be. And what it has to be is that it can't be this idea that, oh yes, we're evangelists. I'm a part of an evangelistic church. It needs to be, here is my part in the evangelistic church. I have to be able to say, this is my job. This is what I do. And by doing this, I help in the evangelism. And then purposefully do it. And follow through on it. And I'll tell you, when we're doing that, we don't need all the gimmicks and the gadgets and the gizmos and all the things that can go along. We'll just be spreading the gospel. And guess what we'll be doing? Saving people's souls. Is that an exciting thing? We can be that church that's doing that. And as far as I'm concerned, 2006 is the year where we make that leap. To do whatever is necessary. To start getting that gospel message out. And saving people's souls. More than just us that's already here. Getting that out. Whatever it takes. As long as it's scriptural, obviously. Whatever it takes. If that means going around and starting tapping people on the shoulder and saying, this is your job. If that means hiring another full-time worker. If that means getting a radio program going. If that, whatever it takes. We need to be that church that's heading out there. All the other churches can have folks that are already saved. We need to be out there saving folks. I hope this lesson was as exciting for you as it was for me. Let's remember the roles that we learned about needed to make a congregation an evangelistic church. Role number one, prayers. Role number two, inviters and recommenders. Role number three, people persons. Role number four, hospitable persons. Role number five, house-to-house study hosts. Role number six, house-to-house study leaders and assistants. Role number seven, house-to-house study members. 
Rule number eight, follow-up waterers. Rule number nine, prospectors. Rule number ten, teachers. If you have any questions about anything in this lesson or anything about the Franklin Church of Christ, please feel free to call us at 615-794-2359. Or you may contact us through our website, franklinchurchofchrist.com. If somebody's given you this lesson on tape or on CD, may I encourage you to go to that website that I just mentioned. Again, it's franklinchurchofchrist.com. We have numerous lessons there in outline and audio format that you're free to use and to share with others in any way you see fit. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to him, but more importantly, may you richly bless God.